Hey, good morning. Hey, I would encourage you guys to uh, remember those who are not here with us this morning. We have a, uh, a little bug going around the community and the community of the church as well. And we have uh, several people out this morning who are uh, wrestling uh, with that. So um, when you find yourself praying, just remember those who were not able to be here this morning. I'm sure all those mothers and fathers who have children who are sick uh, would appreciate that uh, in as much as you would appreciate that as well. So uh, uh, just be aware of that uh, uh, throughout this day and, and the week coming, uh, those who are, who are not feeling well. Amen? Hey, uh, yeah, it says it up there, right? Exodus Sermon Series. Uh, so uh, we're, we're uh, in chapter 19, right? Hey, uh, I had told you guys like two weeks ago we're going to go through chapter 19 and it's going to kind of transition into God giving the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. And you're like, Trent, how long is it going to take us to get to the Ten Commandments? This is, this is week three of chapter 19. I mean, in three weeks, I, I've seen preachers get through three, four, five chapters, six, seven, eight chapters, skip a chapter here, a chapter there, a chapter, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you can't even get through 25 verses. And yeah, that, that makes for a very overwhelming situation for you guys. But uh, today we're actually going to close out. We're not even going to get to chapter 20, but we are going to close out chapter 19. And last week we had gotten to uh, chapter, I think we finished on verse 19 of chapter uh, 19. And I, I said, well, I'm going to use those last five verses just to smoothly transition into chapter 20 this week. That's what I said, Jay. <clears throat> and then I started reading, really studying those last few verses and whatnot. And sometimes you get into that stuff, Daniel, and you're reading it, Aaron, and you're like, ah, we're just going to have to slow down a little bit, and we'll just have to transition into chapter 20 next week. But these five verses have something in them that I think is substantial. As a matter of fact, what, I'm, what I really need to do is I'm going to back up a couple verses and I'm going to read in this week and cover a couple of things that will allow us to kind of navigate the last five verses that we actually covered to some degree last week. We will not cover the things that we drew out last week. We'll look at a couple of other things that I think are important to you, will be important to you, and are definitely important to me, and we'll just kind of transition. Okay, we can do that this morning, right? Everybody good with that? Okay, I, that overwhelming response, I'm assuming that means yes. <laughs> so, hey, just to kind of give you an idea, remember at the beginning of chapter 19, kind of God opens his heart up to Moses and he, he reveals to Moses what his intentions are to raise up this, this uh, really a, a nation of ambassadors, a priesthood, a holy nation, and, and what he wanted to do for the Hebrew people. And he, he, he said, this is what I'm wanting to do. If you guys would just keep my commands and my statutes and honor me, be obedient, this is what I'm going to do. And it's like a win, 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 win type deal. I mean, if you're the Hebrew people and he puts that on your plate, I mean, that's a winner. That's a winner right there. That's a, an incredible arrangement that God has established and set forth for the people. And so he goes through this process and, and uh, uh, revealing this to Moses, Moses goes back to the people. The people say unto Moses, hey, we're down with that. Send that back to God. He responds to God. And he says, this is what the people have said. And then last week, God says to them, 
Uh, it's actually in verse 10. He says, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. The NLT says it beautifully. And you guys, I'm not going to go on that NLT rant like I did last week. But the NLT says it beautifully. When it renders that uh, translation as go down and prepare the people for my arrival. That's a really beautiful image. So God has already expressed himself what he wants to do. Now he's saying to these guys, I'm coming. I'm coming. I think some of you probably need to hear that. There's some things that you've been praying about. Maybe some things you've been wrestling through. Some things you've kind of been pressing through. You know what I'm talking about? Being squeezed. And you've been praying and you've been seeking God. And you're waiting for God to arrive in that scene, in that moment, in your situation. To work things out. May I encourage you this morning, this morning, that God's coming for you. And for the circumstances in your life, be encouraged that God's ear is not deaf to your prayers, Greg. God's ear is not deaf uh, to your cries, Lynn. God hears, God responds, and he'll respond in the appropriate, divinely perfected time. But we need to be encouraged that he's coming. And we need to be prepared when he arrives into those situations. Prepared to do what? To respond to him. Prepared to give him the glory. Prepared to give him the praise. When those things he begins to bend to his will. And uh, we're astonished at his hands working in our lives. Amen? And upon his arrival, upon his, this declaration that he's coming, he says to Moses, he says, Hey, set a boundary up. Remember this? He said no one is, is, is to touch the mountain, right? And he sets these, bound, these boundaries up and he establishes these boundaries for the protection of the people. He wants them to be obedient, to listen, to adhere. Because what he knows and what you and I should know is that when we don't listen to God and we're not obedient, man, we're literally sowing destruction into our life. I mean, that's just a reality. I mean... I can trace back the vast majority of the difficult things in my life. I can trace those back to the, the origins of that being decisions that I've made, things that I've done, obedience and disobedience and, and that type of thing. So he's, he's basically he's establishing uh, with Moses for the people, go down there, establish these boundaries. If they cross these boundaries, it's a death sentence basically. If they cross these boundaries, it's death. And that's the same way with you and I, the boundaries that God establishes in our lives. When we cross them and we violate them, man, it's the seeds of death that we're sowing. And it's inevitable that we're going to reap that stuff. So that's just a principle that we can just apply to our own lives and our own, own hearts. But I want you guys uh, to remember when we read through chapter 19, everything that's taking place in chapter 19 is to set up their hearts to receive God's declaration in chapter 20. Because when we row into chapter 20, it's about God speaking then directly to the people. And so we're, we're literally setting an audience up for God to speak to them. Eternal things that will carry through generations. And so right now we're going to look at Exodus chapter 19. We're going to go back to verse 16. And the reason we're going to go back to verse 16 is just going to allow us to smoothly transition, okay? All right, let's, let's look at this. Verse 16, let's pray real quick, right? Father, in Jesus' name, we're your sons and daughters. We've gathered in a place such as this, as many have in other places like this, to worship you, to hear your word, to gain life, substance, and take it into ourselves that it may contribute to a walk that is 
more vibrant and, and more intimate and more real with you. I want to leave here every Sunday challenged and invigorated in my spirit to desire to draw closer to you. And may that take place in the hearts of the hearers this morning as we navigate through this scripture this morning. Speak to us, God. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, let's look at this verse. Verse 16, it says, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Now you're saying, Trent, we've already read that. We've already, now, you're right, we have. But we're going to cover a couple of things. Remember who that included, right? When it says all the people trembled, it also includes Moses. And we referenced in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, where Moses said the sight was so terrifying that he said that I am trembling with fear. So this is everyone trembling. Now I want you to understand something that is so significant in this verse that we did not touch on last week, that we are this week, and that is this. The word, the word trembled in the Hebrew is, is the word harad. Harad. And it means to be terrified. Okay? To be terrified. I need you to remember that. Harad, to be terrified. And then it says, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Right? These are trembling people, including Moses. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. This is the part that I want you to get. And that is this. When it says that the people trembled, and it's the word harad, terrified. The people were terrified, okay? When it gets down here to the scripture where it says, the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly, the word trembled in reference to the mountain is the exact same word in reference to the people. It is harad, literally meaning the mountain was terrified. You say, well, what are you saying, Trent? I want to endow you or plant this in you. I want to give this to you this morning that God not only has influence and power over animate objects such as yourself, things with spirit, but he has power and influence even over inanimate objects. To me, that is an absolute game changer. When we look at the fact that God's sheer presence invades that place in such a manner that not only is Moses and the children of Israel, the Hebrews, terrified out of deep reverence for God, but the scripture says, and there's an amplifier, it says that the mountain was terrified greatly. The people were not even terrified greatly. It just says they were terrified. The mountain's response to God was even one of greater fear. And you say, Trent, what is the application? The application is this, that God not only has an arm to reach into your, your own personal situation, your own personal life, because we know God touches us. We know that God, there's an intimacy level with us. We understand the reach of God into our own hearts. But there's sometimes we, we forget we forget that God has a reach in the ancillary surrounding supportive aspects of our life. 
that God's presence doesn't just evoke a response from us, but it evokes a response from the things that surround us. And you say, well, what are those things? I'm talking about your job. He has influence there. He has influence in your family. He has influence in your marriage. He has influence in relationships. He literally has influence and reach into every aspect of your life. That should render out from somebody who's got some stuff going on in the peripheral, right? And you need God to kind of flesh it out or, or show himself in that arena. Now, a lot of times, and what I'm about to say to you is absolutely true. A lot of times, we embrace certain thoughts of theology or certain thoughts of ideology within the confines of our thinking towards God. And in so doing, we remove another aspect. For example, we will subscribe to this truth, this is a truth, that God oftentimes, instead of changing our circumstances, change us in the circumstances. Absolutely true, right? And there's been many times that you've looked at the circumstances and you were grateful because what God worked in you through that was so beneficial that you're glad those circumstances didn't change. You're like, man, I would have never asked for that. God brought that about even though I didn't want it. But the work he did in me through that was astounding. Now, it is true, that is true, that God sometimes changes us as opposed to circumstances. But that does not discount the other truth. And the other truth is that God sometimes projects himself into those circumstances and alters them as well. Sometimes in the body of Christ, and when I say this, this is confession time for Trent, the thing that I wrestle with is that I forget the reach of God into my circumstances, so when the circumstances are unfavorable, it somewhat overwhelms me. Am I the only one that does that? Okay, me and Tim, and I think I got a couple heads nodding over here at Affirmation. Okay, we got a couple people that, that suffer with that same type of dynamic. But there, there, there are times uh, when that happens because I forget about his reach that I become so overwhelmed and it affects my countenance, it affects my person, it affects the way that I, that I interact with, with other people, uh, maybe even my wife, uh, the people here at the church. I can become downtrodden. And may I even say you can become hopeless. And it's because we have subscribed to this notion that God's arm, his reach has been so shortened in those arenas. When you engage people, when you engage people who understand that God makes the, the peripheral things tremble, when you engage people like that, those people are not downtrodden people. Those people, regardless of what the circumstances look like, always seem to be walking and high-stepping. You know what I'm talking They always seem to have that energy about them because they're not overwhelmed. They understand God's reach is still active. And so as we transition into today's message, <laughs> I know you're thinking, Trent, that was the message, right? As we transition, I want to impart that to you. I don't know what you're going through, man. I don't know what you're wrestling. I don't know what. But listen, if he can make Mount Sinai tremble greatly, greatly, he can make the areas and arenas of your life, the things that are working against you, tremble in the same manner. But let me say this. The trembling in the hearts of the people came first. 
The trembling in the hearts of the people came first. And then the response of the mountains was recorded secondly. Let us make sure as followers of Jesus that there's a great reverence and fear and trembling in our own hearts in regards to him. I think that opens up a door, opens up a, a, a means by which God then can flesh himself out into those venues and arenas. When our lives are surrendered and submitted, consecrated, set apart for him, right? Okay, let's, let's go on to the scripture that we're actually needing to study today. <laughs> okay, right here. And this is what the scripture says. And oh, let, let me, can, I, can I read something else just to you? Just, I'm just, let me impart this. Just to give you, because I know some of you guys are thinking, man, Trent's down on this Old Testament thing, man. I, I need some Jesus. I need some Jesus. I need some New Testament. Man, hop over into the Gospels. Give me some Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. Give me some of the Jew. Give me something. Out of the, give me some of that new stuff. Right? So, okay, okay, okay. Let, let, me, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example of how this thing fleshes out, just like it did just then, how it fleshed out in the New Testament. In the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 23 through 27, I'm going to read this. And watch this thing flesh out. And when he got into the boat, <laughs> you know where I'm going, right? His disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? O you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. Now listen to this. And the scripture says, And there was great calm. Great calm where? Great calm in the hearts of the men on the boat? I guarantee you that. And then there was great calm in the sea and the winds and the storms. And the response of the disciples was what? What sort of man is this? This should be our response to God as we're reading this in Exodus about the mountains trembling. That should have been the response of the Hebrews. Man, what kind of God is this? That we hear the aching and the roaring and the complaining of a terrified mountain. They said, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Right? There's your New Testament insert, okay? Application, right? He dealt with the animate, the people on the boat, and then his influence addressed the inanimate, the waters and the waves, the wind, storms. That's God. That's the same God doing the same thing. It just looks a little different. And some of us have the waves and the winds and the mountain issues that we need God to reach into. And it says, And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. That's where he closed last week, right? Y'all remember that? So now into this week. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. You got to get this. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. All right? The Lord came down on the mountain was in response to Moses crying out. God responds. He comes down to the mountain, right? This is the part that kind of really, kind of in the spirit just turns me on a little bit because I see God in a different light. The scripture says that God came down to the top, right? He came down to the top. What you and I consider to be the top, 
is a place that he descends to, meaning the top is always <laughs> below him. You know, that's the beauty of God. It was the descending God beneath him, descending to what we perceive to be the top, the apex, the paramount location, is beneath his feet. You understand that, right, Jay? Right? He has to lower himself to what we perceive. And so he calls out to Moses to go to the top of the mountain, and where God had to come down to, Moses has to go up to. It kind of speaks to the beauty of God and, and the character of Jesus. New Testament insert number two. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 and 8 says this, let this, be, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. You get this? He's talking about coming down. That's what he's talking about. That's what Paul is talking about. Jesus coming down. That's what, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he ascends to the top. The reality for you and I, as we navigate and we find ourselves moving towards God, Regardless of the heights that we feel we have climbed, the distance we have covered, we must understand regardless of what that is, that God has always covered the greater distance. There's always been a greater effort on God's behalf to reach us than we'll ever put forth to reach Him. That is a biblical theological reality that He surrendered and gave up so much more to reach us than we could ever surrender and give up to reach Him. Now, He ends up calling Moses up, right? To the top of the mountain. Now listen, this ain't no easy task. This ain't no easy task. This is about 7,500 feet to the top of the mountain. Mount Sinai is about 7,500 feet above sea level. Now, you go over there to Mount Sinai right now over in Egypt, and, and they actually will go on tours. They'll let you climb. They'll let you climb on Mount Sinai to the place where they feel is the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments. They'll let you climb up there. Now there's steps, and there's paths, and, there's, and it's about a four-hour, four-and-a-half-hour trek. Now, Moses is 80 years old and counting. In the ch chapter 19 alone, Moses makes four trips up that mountain. You know what that means? Because he ends going down, he makes four trips down. Each trip up and down would require of him about nine hours. So God calls Moses up. Now, this, this, this isn't an easy thing. It's not an easy thing for a young scrapping buck like myself. Now, see, I can do that with people on podcasts. They don't know. They can't see me. Listen, I mean, you may be able to pull it off. Blair, fit, trim, help, he might be able to pull that off. Look, man, two hours into that, no, I'm sitting down, and I'm complaining, right? And so when you read this scripture, you're almost thinking, as Moses is climbing this hill, this mountain, right, shifting rocks beneath your feet, 
right? Times were, you know, there, there wasn't steps, no elevator, no escalator. This joker at times may have very well been on his hands and knees. And he'd done been up this mountain and down this mountain. And God calls him back up and Moses, being human like you and I are human, probably would have been justified, I guess, to some degree. Mildred, if he'd have said, hey, God, that's, I'm a little tired. I'm a little wore out. I've climbed that mountain already. I think you're asking too much of me. That's reasonable, right? I mean, in our humanness, that's reasonable, right? You ever feel like that? God asked too much of you. He's asked you to do, to be, to go, to give. And you feel like, man, you're asking too much of me. And then we ask ourselves, can God really ask too much of us? Too much of us. And the reality is if we're always willing to be obedient, the strength needed to climb whatever mountain God's called you to will always be provided. The payoff and the benefit of reaching where God has called you will always be worth it. And the fallout and the benefit, ultimately, over the grand review of it, will always be worth the labor, the intensity, whatever that might be. The crawling, the crying, the slipping rocks. I remember Danny was with us. Brandon, I think, was with us when we were in Chaguatillas. And one night they decided that we were going to go to El Junco. Remember that, Brandon? Okay, we're Americans. You know, I'm going to pull out the phone. Okay, where's the nearest paved road to El Junco? GPS looks at you. know, the GPS will speak to you and give you a direction. GPS looks at it and just laughs, right? You know, you know when your GPS is laughing, you're in trouble, right? And, and we're trying to, well, how do you get? And so we got these guys, and they're going to lead us to El Junco. Brooke, were you with us? You were, wasn't you? Okay. So we start going through El Listen, I mean, you feel like you've just entered into like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones type. You're stepping over stuff. You're walking along ledges. And you're like, if you fall in there, it's done. And it's, a, it's about three miles, but it's not a normal three miles walking here down to, down to uh, Kingdom Buffet. It's not that three miles. You know, it's not that easy walking on clear pavement, smooth. Man, I'm t- you're, you're traversing some, some difficult, difficult conditions. And I haven't even mentioned that the mosquitoes down there were sweating because it was so hot. I mean, man, it was, it. and we're walking through there. You got branches smacking you in the face the whole time you're complaining. Everybody was complaining. Everybody was complaining. Everybody was complaining. Some of us complained in our prayers. You know what I'm talking about? When you would pray, Lord, give me strength. You know what you were really saying? Lord, I need strength because this is just too hard. You know, that's what you're really saying. And so we're navigating. We're working our way. And then we finally get to El Hugo. There's a break in the, it opens up, and there's the village. And remember, when you walk into the village, there's the church. Remember that? It was sitting right there. I was like, praise God, he answered my prayers. We've reached El Hugo. I can fall into the, the doorway of the church. I said, that's a pretty nice little church in El Hunco. They said, no, it's not our church. 
our church up on that hill. You remember that? And I was like, what? What? I mean, that's how I, it's exactly how I felt. I felt, can we holler up the hill? Do we need, and I remember us trekking up that hill. And I remember us going into that church. And listen, if you complain about the air here, you complain about the heat here, shame on you. We go into this church, man, and I mean, it was hot. It was packed. And I remember them telling me, Trent, when we get to El Junco, you're going to get to share. Now, I'm a housing project kid who's been converted, no theological studies other than a few college courses in, in introduction to theology. I don't have a Ph.D. in, in blah, 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 this, that, or another. I, I, you know, I've got friends who've got more degrees than a thermometer. That's not me. And they said, Trent, we're going to get them, and you're going to share. I was like, okay. They don't, they don't understand me anyway. I can share whatever I want. I'll just talk about anything. You know, but I had the word of the Lord. I knew what I was going to share when I got up there. And when I get up there, they tell me, they said, Trent, I just want you to know, you're the first North American to ever share in this village. Now, that's one of those treasures that I'll hold in my heart for the rest of my life. Listen, there will be a second who will share there, and there will be a third. But there will never be a first. <laughs> That's right, Jack. That's right. I'm the, the guy says to me, you're going to be the first North American to share at this church. All right? So, so uh, I open up the word, and there's people, remember, kind of hanging in the windows. Remember looking in the church packed. So I start to share. I got a translator, and believe it or not, I was talking much slower because this cat had to keep up with me, right? Jimmy Pinnell. And so, and listen, if you've ever spoken and you had a translator trailing you, that ain't easy to do, especially when you're reckless and out of control like me. You know, I don't know. How do you, how do you translate this? You know, I don't know. And so we're, we're, we're in there. Jimmy's, Jimmy's preaching. The whole, my mind is on the Word of God. I'm, I'm trying to deliver it. And I, and I tell a little joke, and only the Americans laugh. The Honduras look at me like, I don't understand that. Lost in translation kind of thing. But those who are with me, they got to giggle out. But I move forward into the Word. But the whole time that I'm sharing this in my mind and in my spirit, I see a kid on a concrete step at 500 Miami Court in a housing project, government housing, who has nothing to offer. And God had deemed at that moment that this kid would be the very first person and he had ordained it that would speak in this place at this time if he was willing to make the trip through the jungles, through the wilderness, through the paths, the terrain, the difficult. And I'm going to say this to you. On the way home, I walked a little lighter. When the people responded to the gospel, I thought, oh, was it worth the shifting rocks beneath my feet? Oh, was it worth the heat, the sweat, the mosquitoes, the complaining of myself and those who were in my company? They may have been complaining about me. I don't know. Oh, all that was worth it. But I didn't know that's what was waiting for me. And some of you may say, man, that God's asking too much of me. But you don't know what's waiting for you on the other side of the big ask. You don't know.
He never asks too much of us. No matter how great it, no matter how great it is, the thing he is asking. Now here's what's funny about this. All right, there's a little humor in this. He calls Moses up. Moses makes a four and a half hour trek up the mountain, slipping and sliding, crawling, crying, who knows? And he gets up there and the Lord said to Moses, go down. <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> you get one of those moments, right? You get one of those different stroke moments, right? In your spirit, you know what I'm talking about? You'll do it every once in a while, won't you? you you'll do that. You know what I'm talking about. You look at God and you say, what, what, you, what you talking about? Go down. I just caught wind getting up here. And sometimes the thing that God's doing isn't always in the destination. It's kind of in the process, what he's doing. But always understand that when God calls us to the high places and when he descends to meet us, he never really wants us parking there. You know? He typically calls us in to send us out, right? You with me on that? You tracking? You feel that? Yeah, he typically isn't oh, drawing us in to encamp himself around us, to shelter us uh, from all the needs that are prevalent in our lives. He typically calls us to those meaty places of intimacy to empower us, to strengthen us, to send us out. Because the one thing that I know about the character of God is that he's always concerned, interested in the redemption and the salvation of the perishing, right? He says to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Listen, this is his servant. He calls him up for four and a half hours of heavy trekking to say what to him? I will trust you with this message. Go down, go down and warn them that none of them will perish. You get that? You see that? God concerned about a people with a rebellious spirit, patient and loving, still desiring to protect them from who? Themselves. Oh, how many times he's protected me from me. To protect them from themselves. God demonstrates his love and patience for this group of rebellious people. That should sound familiar to you. New Testament drop number three. Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some of, some of you would understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with who? He is patient with you. Peter writing to the church. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. Man, sounds like the same DNA, doesn't it, Mike? The same DNA. But everyone to come to repentance. Calls them up, sends them out with a message of redemption, salvation. The rescue message is what he sent them out with. A rescue. He sends you and I out with the same thing. But if we perch up at the top, man, and we discount the need to go back down with that message, it may get really comfortable up there. We may like it up there. It may feel really good in there. But there's people perishing, man, when we resist going back down with the message that God's given us. 
You and I, in the time in which we live, Greg, we don't have time to waste, Jack. You know what I'm talking about? Man, this thing is becoming compressed quickly. Quickly. We don't have time to stay up on the mountaintop in these, what are you talking about, Willis discussions forever. There may be an initial response where we look at God and say, what? But we can't live in the what forever. Not as followers and believers of Christ. All right, we're about to close. We're about to close. It says, also let the priest who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Okay, because we always have in a congregation like this, two or three people that are always the theological, studious people. We're going to park here momentarily, and I'm going to address something that may have confused somebody in the reading of the scripture. Well, who are these priests? This is the very first time. You know, I, like, I always like to stop and address whenever something happens for the first time. Right? You know, I'll, you guys who went through the Genesis study with us, we would park address first-time issues. This is the first time in the Old Testament that Hebrew priests are mentioned. The very first time. Now, we do know that Jethro was a priest of Midian, but not a Hebrew priest. This is the very first time a Hebrew priest is mentioned in the text, in the scripture. What I want you to understand is these are not the descendants of Aaron, Aaron's sons. That, that's not even implemented until I think chapter 28. This isn't, what, this isn't what he's talking These aren't the priests he's talking about. The priests he's talking about right here are the individuals, the firstborn that were uh, of each family that was consecrated in Exodus chapter 13 during the Exodus. When he says, consecrate to me every firstborn male, meaning set them apart for my use, for me, set them apart for the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me. These are the priests he's talking about. So I want you to understand, because if you're thinking, well, hold on, the priests are descendants of Aaron, you know, the Levitical priests, this don't jive. That's what that is. Okay, now let's move on. Okay, all right. He says, lest the Lord break out against them as well. Any special designation, I will say this, any special designation, these firstborn who had been set apart, that doesn't eliminate you from the need of obedience. God's not making exceptions because you're unique. No, these, these cats were set apart, consecrated, firstborn. They had a special service. Guess what they couldn't do? They couldn't be disobedient either. So regardless of how you feel about yourself and your alignment and your position and, and how unique and special and, and you know, uh, uh, exceptional you may be, in regards to God, God makes no exceptions for anyone. God has no respecter of persons, right? The poor, the rich, educated, uneducated, young, old, smart, like me. I mean, I'm the other, not the smart, the other, right? God makes no exceptions. And he didn't for these cats either. They fell under the same charge as the rest of the people of, of, of Israel. And then the scripture says this. And the Lord said to Moses, we're just going to read through this and we're going to close with a simple question. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. And let the priest who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. I read that to clarify this verse. And Moses said to the Lord, now this is such a unique, unique response. He says, go and warn them. 
And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. For you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. You see the innocence in the heart of Moses in that moment? And what he doesn't know, he doesn't know. Eventually he finds out what kind of heart these people really have. Moses' response to God is basically this. Why tell them again? You've already told us, Lord. There's no need to do that. You've already spoken. Operating under the assumption, well, God, you've spoken. Surely they're going to listen. <laughs> Poor Moses. <laughs> right? Right? I wonder if Moses, if he could look forward, he would look at us in the church of Jesus. And say, hadn't he already told you guys? God, there's no reason to retell the people of the church. You've already told them. They listen, don't they? I think that's the assumption that Moses has in his heart pertaining to the people. Well, Lord, you've spoken, and surely they're going to listen. Surely they're going to listen. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. This doesn't happen to Exodus 28. But, and he says this again. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. You know what he says right there in that verse? You know what's divulged? Is God knows them. This is the third time in this dialogue that he's had with Moses that he says to them, don't do this. Don't do this. Love your neighbor. How many times does God have to tell me that for me to get that? Do not forsake the assembling. How many times does he have to tell me that for me to get that? Lean not on your own understanding. How many times does he have to tell me that? I could go on and on through the scripture about, a, uh, about commands and directives and guidance that God has given us that he has had to give me, Brandon, numerous, numerous times. Why is that? Because I'm more like the Hebrews than I am like Moses. We all like to see ourselves as the hero of the story. We identify with Moses when in reality we smell much more like the Hebrews. But the failing to listen, in all honesty, delivers more damage and pain upon us than is necessary. The majority of the time, when we make really poor decisions, in following Jesus in that path, and then we make a really poor decision as we're about that, it's typically over an issue that God has already addressed in our hearts numerous times. 
Because God isn't the type of a father who lets his children play on the cliff without the warning. Just like you and I aren't that type of a father. Our kids get out in the yard, mothers, you know, your kid gets out in the yard and you're like, hey, don't get out of the yard. And they're like, mom, I'm just standing by the porch. Then they get out to me, hey, don't get out of the, well, I'm still in the yard. Don't get, and then all of a sudden they're at the edge of the yard standing near the road. Most of us, by the time we get to the road, man, God's done shouted us down half a dozen times. And we've completely resisted and pushed back on a hill, right? And then we get hit. And then we start crying out, right? We're hit, we're maimed, mom, dad, right? In the spirit, we're, we're like, God, where are you? I'm at that place where I told you, don't get out of the yard. Now you're out of the yard and you're wounded, right? And so we're going to close this because the scripture says, even though Moses in his own heart and his own mind said, there should not be a reason to do this, to even say this. You know what the scripture says at the end of chapter 19? It says, Moses went down to the people and told them. <laughs> he gets down there and he says, hey, don't come near. They're like, hey, man. You've already told us that. You've already told us that. I know I told you that, but God told me to tell you again. Well, that's not what I was wanting to hear. I was hoping he had changed his mind on the matter. That's closer to home than you think. I just assumed if I continue to resist God, he loves me so much, he's just going to bend in my favor. I was actually waiting for God to change his mind. We, man. So Moses went down to the people four and a half hours. <laughs> you can see it, right? Moses gets down tired, maybe bloody knees, with the same message that I've already delivered. Obey God. <laughs> That's really what the, obey him. So we'll just close right there. But I do ask you this question. What, what is it that God is saying to you? And how many times has he said it? And today your decision making will determine how many more times will he need to say it. So the thing laid before you today is that opportunity to respond to God, Ricky, and just say, I'm listening. I hear you, I'm listening, and I'm going to respond. Amen. Amen. Okay, stand with me. Stand with me. I'm just going to ask, Taylor, would you come forward just for a moment? Carrie's at another location this morning leading worship for a group of ladies.
With your heads bowed, give me that just for a moment. With your heads bowed. Just you and God right now. You and God. You know that thing he has said to you, not once, not twice, maybe not three, four, five, six times, maybe even more. What about that thing? Man, wouldn't this morning be a good time to resolve that thing, to listen, to respond, and to do? Man, this morning would be a good morning. And you can do that. You can do that. It's between you and God. I can't pray you through a situation or into a situation. I can say a lot of things. I can speak to God on your behalf, but I can't make decisions for you. I've said from this pulpit a dozen times, probably many more than that. God is more concerned and delights over hearing about you from you than he does hearing about you from me. He wants that conversation with you. He wants that decision made by you. He wants to come alongside you. And he wants to do it because he's in that rescuing business. The non-perishing business. Yeah, that's who he is. That's who he's always been. And so I'm going to give you a few minutes. You can respond. And afterwards we will pray and we'll dismiss. But this is your moment right now. This is it. In Jesus' name. Is God speaking to you? Man, it's not going to get any safer than this. If God's speaking to you, now's the appropriate time to respond in the name of Jesus.